Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Good evening, Bruce Strong. <laughs> How you doing? See, every time I expect greetings, greetings, and then, you know, something else comes out, and I'm like, oh. I'm a man that likes variety. What can I say? <laughs> I'll add that to my list of what you don't know about my friend John Palmer. He's a Here man who likes variety. Of course, now you know that, so I can't use it anymore. Mm. you got to tell me all those things in private. And then I can uh, utilize okay. them. You know, I'll send you emails about Tabasco sauce and ketchup French fries. <laughs> well, see, now again, you're ruining ah, it. Okay. You got to keep a, you know, keep it off the air so I can use these uh, in future uh, future okay. segments. Yeah, fried eggs on pizza. Right, because come because come coming up later in the show, you're not going to want to miss it. It'll be another segment of what you don't know about my friend John Palmer. Yeah. It's a good one today. A real good one. I'm sure they're riveted. <laughs> <laughs> well, they will be riveted when we have a competition, a trivia challenge uh, at uh, at the BNA party for people that know John Palmer trivia. <laughs> Where they can win an autograph book or something yeah. yeah autograph boob whatever okay i could do that <laughs> right yeah don't want to give out a book <laughs> okay okay we got we got a plan all right 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 you know and uh, the winner uh, can have an autograph uh, anywhere on their body uh, you'll you'll do it you can whip out their junk or whatever and you'll sign away in sharpie mm-hmm. yeah watch it be mcdole that wins i mean he's already got one signature so right <laughs> Right, so uh, you can uh, you can uh, sign away. So we'll do a, a trivia contest. Okay, and okay. it'll be trivia of uh, you know things about John Palmer. So I think people do want to pay attention to these things. Yeah, I think we could. We have a lot of giveaways to do at BNA Six. Ooh, there you go. And I think a little bit of Palmer trivia based uh-huh, on this uh-huh, segment uh-huh, is a great idea, uh-huh. Jay Z. There you go. See, see, yeah. it has a value. Okay. More than uh, curious cosmetic value or whatever <laughs> right. you would say. All right. And uh, just speaking of curious uh, cosmetic value, um, you should look at uh, our good friend John Blickman. Yes. <laughs> curious. Yes. <laughs> curious, yes. Curious cosmetic value. I don't know what that really means. But <laughs> Other than he looks great in a good blush. He looks, yeah, right. He, you know, yeah. put a little rouge on that boy and, yeah. uh, you know. Right. Oh, he is, he is a wonderful guy. He's a real funny guy, too. And uh, 
uh, good sense of humor and uh, just a lovely, uh, lovely person to talk to. So if you get a chance, uh, if you're if you're coming out to the uh, Homebrewers Conference, uh, go check it out. Uh, Blickman Engineering will be there. They'll probably be showing some you know new secret uh, thing that uh, John Blickman uh, came up with. And uh, and they'll have a lot of their other gear there that you can touchy feely and uh, check it out and see, ask questions about how it all works. And uh, they're real nice folks. So uh, go up and uh, shake John Blickman's hand or you know the hand of uh, any of the, the the Blickman staff there and tell them, uh, hey, thanks a bunch for for uh, sponsoring Bruce Strong. We really appreciate it. Uh, you know, I love the show, and uh, you know it's it's great that that you guys pay for it so we can listen to it. Uh, and if you get a chance, uh, go to BlickmanEngineering.com. dot com. You know, check out uh, what they the got tunes. there. Yeah, if you can't, if you can't go to uh, uh, the conference, um, you know, it's going to be nineteen hundred people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you can't go to the conference, if somehow you missed out on tickets, um, you know, go to BlickmanEngineering.com, dot com. Like uh, John says, with two ends, Blickman with two ends, and uh, they got a lot of. Uh, great information there and, and pictures of the the stuff they sell so uh, check it out all right today is a uh, live q a session if you uh listen to the show live there's a uh a uh, chat now button and you can click on that and that takes you to a, a screen you just you type in whatever name you want to use there's no password or anything and you jump right into a, a chat live chat where you can uh, share information with uh, the others and then justin is uh uh, checking out that uh, live chat, and uh, you can ask questions through there of uh, John and myself. Otherwise, you can send in your questions to brewstrong at thebrewingnetwork.com, and uh, eventually, it may take several years, but eventually we will get to all your uh, questions for the, uh, the Q&A show. All right. Why don't we uh, kick, it, kick it off with a, uh, with a good one here, Justin. You got it. I think this one's for Palmer. Okay. As our resident. Because it has something to do with metallurgist. Yeah, a resident metallurgist, exactly. So, Palmer, uh, Robert writes in, he says, Gentlemen, I'm crafting a hop strainer for my brew kettle out of stainless steel mesh. Uh, The strainer is a five inch diameter cylinder with a mesh bottom uh, and a stainless steel collar. The original thought was to sew the bottom on with stainless steel or copper wire, but that has proved too tedious. John, you mentioned in How to Brew that silver solder is used in 90% of mechanical fasteners in the home brewery. So my yep. question is, what are your thoughts on silver soldering the mesh together? Would it work? Would it be okay to have in the brew kettle? Or would it be too much exposure? Thanks in advance for doing what you guys do from Robert. No, that'll work. Um, the um, the silver tin solder that's used for uh, you know plumbing, you can get it you know, at any hardware store. You know, for uh, home plumbing use, um, that'll hold that'll hold the mesh on. the The trick is going to be getting um, you know the heat in there and getting it to flow and not just burning the thing up. Uh, because depending on the wall thickness differences between the cylinder and the mesh, um, you may end up overheating the mesh as you're trying to get the uh, solder to stick to flow and stick to both parts. Um, so watch out for that, and depending on how fine the mesh is, you may experience the solder wicking into the mesh, you know, capillary action, and uh, end up with a just mesh full of solder um, instead of, you know, bonding, actually bonding to the cylinder. 
Um, I, but you know, it, it's it's a good it's a good method to try. Um, you may you may be able to just uh, attach a couple corners, you know, say four corners or four you know diametrical points on the cylinder um, to the mesh. There's that may be sufficient. Cylinder, really. Yeah. Well. Okay. <laughs> the four the four compass points. How about that? Ninety degrees apart. Or right, because if you turned it, the compass directions would all change. Yeah. Right would there be a a a better way to assemble this? That you can think of, John. Um, you know, would it be a, you know a food grade epoxy or something like that, or? Well, you know, actually, that might work. Um, I mean, because the the temperatures aren't you know aren't very high, uh, and some a lot of epoxies will take those temperatures. Um, being a metallurgist, I've never really looked at organic substances uh, very much for you know attaching things, but um, I'm sure. People have done it. Uh, people because people talk about building mash tons using epoxies um, all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. Um, another way to do it may be to scrounge around and find another metal stainless steel metal cylinder um, that is just a little bit oversized, and so you could just do a strictly mechanical fit up mm-hmm. and uh, do it that way um, without without soldering. Um, a lot of there's a lot you know. Stainless steel cookware, you know, in terms of thin pots and what have you, are, are really available. So I'm sure you can find, you know, two parts that fit together quite quite well and do a mechanical slip fit that way. Hmm. Okay. All right. Here's another one. Kevin from Kalamazoo, Michigan writes in, I've started using a new method to control my fermentation. I've not heard this particular method mentioned before on the podcast, so I'd like to share my procedure and ask for any critique from you guys. I've got a 40-gallon Rubbermaid storage container uh, that I fill with 10 to 15 gallons of water. I bought an aquarium heater with a temperature control to regulate the temperature. The container allows me to regulate two fermentation vessels at once. My beers ferment in a basement, which uh, has temps that stay around 60 fairly consistently. I have no problems with temps getting too high, but I need a system which would allow me to achieve and maintain an appropriate temperature. If you have any comments or potential concerns, uh, it would be appreciated. From Kevin in Kalamazoo. Well, for, for me, um, you know, the, the, the drawbacks, I think, to that, uh, you know, trying to do two fermenters in that, that pool, um, you know, he's not really controlling the temperature of the fermenters, I think. You know, he's not measuring the temperature of the beer inside the fermenters and the activity that's going on. He's rather probably measuring the temperature of the water and controlling that, which is it's a little better than controlling like ambient air temperature but uh you know it has the same kind of negative effects where you know whatever's going on in the fermenter you're really not you know responding to that you're just kind of holding a a, a water temperature it's a you know fairly useful um way of controlling uh temperature as a matter of fact in the book by uh homeboy and dog meat the yeast book which you can find in the brewing network store yep. um it uh you know the the uh wattage of the uh aquarium heater you would need is the calculation for that is in there interesting in there in the book wow in amazing it's it's all in there so it hasn't been found on a podcast like he says but it is in the book book. which wait wait, what's a book again (laughs) 
collection of paper pieces you use to you know wipe with. I don't know. Uh, homeboy and dog meat. Look it up. Awesome. Uh, so, you know, that would be one concern there. And then also kind of the, uh, you know, lag, uh, you know, as far as, again, you know, responding to, you know, temperature changes, things like that. But it's, it, you know, it's certainly better than nothing. I would um, personally use uh, just a, uh, a a heater from a, 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 a heating pad from... You know, Walmart or something like that, or like you, can get, wrap. you can get a firm wrap, which I—that's what I use because you can wrap them around nicely around the, uh, which is the insides from a the heating pad. Essentially, you can wrap it around the the fermenter, and then you can you know monitor the the temperature of the fermenter itself. Now you can only do one fermenter at a time like that, but um, you know that's really effective and and gives you uh, I think a, a better you know more responsive control over what's actually happening in the fermenter. So yeah. But still, I think that's that's a pretty good approach that Kevin has. Right, right. Absolutely. Nothing wrong with that. All right, let's do this. Let's take a uh, short break, and when we come back, I'm going to tell you something uh, that you don't know about my friend John Palmer. Back after this. From the stovetop to a camp burner to some kind of brew stand, most homebrewers follow some version of this progression. With each move, a homebrewer will often have to change a lot, if not all, of their equipment. Until now, Blickman Engineering brings you the top-tier brewing stand, the only brewing stand that grows with you. For example, buy a top-tier floor-standing burner now, and it'll bolt right to your top-tier brewing stand when you're ready for all-grain brewing. The top-tier brewing stand is perfect for 5-gallon to 20-gallon batch sizes. Its modular design is adjustable and accommodates everything from small footprint coolers up to 30-gallon pots. How does the top-tier brewing stand do it? At its core is a strong, heat-treated, and anodized aluminum main post. On all four sides are built-in T-slots for the adjustable heavy-gauge stainless steel shelves and beefy burner tiers. The tiers accommodate any manufacturer's pots or coolers up to 21 inches in diameter. Best of all, not only does the top-tier brewing stand grow with your skills and equipment, but it easily knocks down for long-term storage or transport, too. The top-tier brewing stand from Blickman Engineering. Learn more at BlickmanEngineering.com and to find a local Blickman retailer and start brewing from the top tier. Hi, I have a sixer of Lagunitas in the icebox. My roommate's gone for the weekend, and I'm wearing something flimsy. Listen, baby, I told you not to call me after 8. I'll talk to you tomorrow. I gotta go. Who is that? Your girlfriend? You loser. Shut up, thug. Did you guys get the cauldron set up on the altar of my yard? Sir, if you weren't so busy getting booty calls, you'd know that. The hurricane furnace is using propane while you guys talk. All right, I'm using the scroll of Mosher to boil the first decoction. Nope, it's scorched. What do you do? Frack, scoop it out and try again. Thug, use your mass rake. You took too long. The color is now dark and past the point where you can still call it a pilsner. Yes, sir. I hate it when Greg's the brewmaster. What's this, Poindexter Urkel? Dude, can't you see we're in the middle of a brew session? Is that an actual beer? Yeah, I crafted it. I don't really use the dice anymore. I'm a 10th level beer nerd. (gasps) Are you a 10th level beer nerd? Do you belch White Labs 833 and crap Simcoe? Then you're in good company at Northern Brewer. Northern Brewer has all your beer nerd needs. Ingredients, equipment, and knowledge 24 hours a day at northernbrewer.com. Plus, fast, cheap shipping. Only $7.99 for the contiguous USA. And check out Northern Brewer's huge selection of dorky beer kits, including the Cylon Detecting Three-Hearted and the collector's item super alt. Mine's in mint condition because it's still in the box. Make 10th level at northernbrewer.com. 
Whether I'm making me dry stout or rebuilding me kegs, I head to the heart of dear Dublin for me homebrewing supplies. You head all the way back to Emerald Isle just for a wee batch of grain or a bit of keg tubing? No, you moronic waste deliver. Dublin, California. I go to HopTech. For 30 years, HopTech in Dublin, California has been supplying homebrewers with malt extract, fresh grains, hops, spices and sugars, hop oils and extracts, and much more. HopTech is one of the first homebrew supply shops on the internet and is proud to offer award-winning beer kits, both online and in their store. Mention the BN Army for a 10% discount off your order. The store is open every day except Wednesday or shop online at HopTech.com anytime. HopTech is run by passionate, award-winning brewers who live, love, and travel for beer and bring their experience to the store for you. If you don't want to visit Dublin, just call toll-free 800-DRY-HOPS or go to HopTech.com. Visit HopTech today in Dublin, California and at HopTech.com. Nico, listen, our lawyers said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months and then, to the next meeting. Kids. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines. I'm the professional. <clears throat> hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment 10 years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Hell or High Watermelon Wheat Beer at Brew Free or Die IPA in the Northeast, Northwest, parts of the Midwest, and Alaska, in cans and on draft. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in the can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. Hilo, what's it feel like? Take awesome and multiply it by two. Yeah! <laughs> Spraying live beer radio all over your face. <laughs> Can't get any better than this, baby. <laughs> it's the Brewing Network. Back to your hosts, Jamil Zanashev and John Palmer. Putting the testicles in technical. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. It's time for another segment called, I love to call, uh, What You Don't Know About My Friend, John Palmer. His favorite fruit is the quince. The quince. All right. I thought that's pronounced quince. Quince. Well, maybe it is. Maybe it is. (laughs) I don't know. It's your favorite fruit. What the heck? (laughs) All right. What You Don't Know About My Friend, uh, John Palmer. All right. Uh, we're doing a live Q&A uh, show. Uh, what's the next question, Justin? All right, here's a good question from Chris in Pennsylvania. He says, hey, guys, I had a question relating to repitching yeast from high-gravity beers. I've done it twice and had uh, great success and broke the rules both times. No. He says, meaning, breaker. meaning that I repitched from a high-gravity beer to a lower-gravity one, mm-hmm. as well as repitched to a completely different style. Mm-hmm. Both times, things went just fine. So I'm wondering if there is any internet lore on this topic that you could debunk, or was I just very lucky both times? What do the craft brewers do, especially the ones that make a lot of high-gravity beers and also routinely repitch? Thanks from Chris. Oh, well, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a good question. It's really interesting that that was asked because, 
you know, we did this uh, yeast panel at the CBC, and uh, one of the people on the yeast panel was uh, Mitch Steele from Stone. And one of the things that I found real interesting was um, that the yeast that they harvest for repitching, they harvest it off their IPA. So they have their levitation, they have, you know, lighter beers, and that's what they were trying at first, but they got much better results from the IPA. And the reason that they got better results from the IPA was that it's the beer that they brew most often. So the yeast is always the freshest possible. And the thing that they needed to adjust for is, uh, you know, the bitterness that's carried over, things like that. But, you know, it was the highest vitality and viability yeast that they could get their hands on. So that's why they repitch from that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that, you know, in the home brewery, you know, doing the same thing, I think that there, you know, there's that's a valid reason, you know, the yeast is fresh rather than you know harvesting from a low gravity beer and sitting on the yeast for you know three weeks if you can harvest from you know an ipa a strong ipa you know that day and pitch it you know that night or the next day that's a better choice than the one that's been sitting for three weeks yep now the the thing you need to be aware of when you're making uh you know highly bitter beers or you know hop character beers or really dark stouts or things like that you could get you'll get carryover of bittering and compounds and hot flavor and um, also the roast malt uh, character and color smoked malt will carry over things like that it may not be huge it depends on the you know the beer you're going to do if if you're taking um you know some ultra hoppy dark stout and you know pitching into some you know light american lager you're probably going to taste it so you'll need to make some adjustments if you're you're you know varying your pitches from harvesting from a really bitter ipa to you know a malty uh you know mild or something like that then uh you know the the bitterness carryover is going to be different all right i got a good uh, similar question from another one of our listeners who's in the chat, live in the chat today. Uh-huh. Uh, Bike Foolery is in there, and he says, I've been keeping uh, WLP 545, which is one of the White Labs Platinum strains. says, I've been keeping it alive for seven beers, seven generations. I've been top cropping off of a simple 4% Monk's Table beer. What are common off flavors to be looking for as I attempt to keep this strain going until... The new one, the the platinum strain comes out again next December. He says, "Yes, Jay Z, I've read the yeast book, uh, but I am curious from your homebrewing perspective." Um, he even was listening to our anchor show where they were talking about using the same pitch of yeast without a fresh pitch for years now. Mm-hmm. One thing he did notice uh, was a larger sulfur nose on the starters he uses to build the cell count back up for the next years. But the beers have been good and attenuation consistent. So I guess the main thing is. What off flavors will he start to pick up mm. as it gets to be too old mm-hmm. or too many gens? Um, well, it's not necessarily too many generations. It's too many generations when you get contamination, when you get mutation, cell mutation, and the 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 pit starts to drift to a different type of character. Now. If it drifts in a way you like, and you're, you're selecting from beers that do well, and you know you're repitching that, then 
there is no limit to the number of generations. And, and when you're, especially when you're top cropping, you're getting really healthy, active yeast. If you're doing it right and you're keeping it clean, um, you know, there may not be any limit, limit there. I'd say, uh, you know, let taste be your guide. And if you start to taste something off, then, of course, you've reached your limit for some reason. But, you know, top cropping is a great way to go. That's why you can, you know, somebody like, you know, Anchor can go go a long time, uh, you know, or, you know, somebody, uh, you know, some of these English breweries can go a long time, uh, you know, harvesting yeast. Palmer, have you ever done any top cropping at all? I have, but not in the last few years. Um but uh yeah i think i think you're right the the fact that he is top cropping rather than you know taking it from the bottom mm-hmm. um means that he is i mean with with good sanitation so on is is probably really reducing his contamination mm-hmm. of the yeast mm-hmm. um potentially and uh and you're getting that real healthy yeast off yep. the off the pitch so or off the the fermentation yeah it hasn't gone through any settling any you know difference in flocculation and mm-hmm. so on um well because when when you're harvesting off the bottom you're getting you know those yeasts that they've sort of kind of made it into fermentation and then just fell out and you know they don't really do well and you're getting you know bacteria you're getting you know just all sorts of stuff in there yeah. You know, top cropping, you're you're just getting a healthy yeast. Yeah. Now, of course, he is kind of selecting for, you know, a a, a top cropping style. I mean, mm-hmm. um, so it's going to it's going to uh, keep going that way. And he'll probably I don't know how his uh, clarification of flocculation is going to proceed as he keeps going down that path. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it'll, maybe it'll become more powdery, mm-hmm. um, like some of the English yeasts that are, you know, uh, great top croppers, but they have a hard time settling out without findings. Hmm. He may experience that. Well, uh, can you think of any any off flavors that uh, might be more prone to? I don't know, bubble gum or not? Not necessarily. You know, that's a you know a whole different characteristic. You know, but the the top cropping yeast tend to be good flocculators because uh, part of what happens in uh, the yeast rising to the surface is the yeast you know clump together. Mm, yep. They're they're carried to the surface on you know CO two bubbles, and you know that's what brings them to the surface. If the, if you know lager yeast don't tend to uh, top crop well because they they don't flocculate well, so you know you can get uh, I've got some um, uh, uh, West Yorkshire yeast that uh, I got from uh, Y yeast to do the um, uh, Black Sheep Brewery beers. And I'll tell you, that stuff, that is such a top cropper. You know, you'll brew the beer, and you'll see this giant layer of yeast on top of the beer, and you're thinking, okay, it's, boy, it's it's ripping along in fermentation. And if you don't look carefully, you won't notice that it's finished with fermentation. The yeast is dropped completely clear in the bottom, but there's a big pile of yeast still at the top. I mean, it just sits there forever. And, uh, you know, so, you know... It, it it very flocculent and, and drops real clear, but um, you know it'll it'll stick to the top. So it depends on the yeast, and I think you know, like like John's saying, you can um, you know, be careful that you're not selecting you know just for one characteristic, and all of a sudden you get you get some sort of change. But if the beer is turning out the same, and you just notice a little extra sulfur, sulfur tends to be a sign of stress. So. 
you know, all yeast, when they're stressed, they produce more sulfur. So that may be some clue as to, you know, your process that you might want to look into. Okay. Uh, here's a good, if we could squeeze this one in, a good, a good newbie question that I've asked myself. I think I've even phoned you up about it, Jay-Z. Uh, this is from PKRID. I don't know how it's supposed to be in the chat room. He says, my beers seem to continually ferment, always bubbling in the airlock until I finally cold crash it. They seem to go on for longer than two weeks for most beers. Hmm. Is this due to a low mash temp or do I need to pitch more yeast? The beer seems to come out good. I even got a gold in my first competition. I know I've called you about this constant bubbling airlock thing in the past. Mm -hmm. So uh, what do you have to say to that, guys? Hmm. I would say I would suspect something other than yeast if it just keeps going and going and going. But uh, if he's gotten a gold in in a recent competition, I you know I guess we I'm a, I'd have to ask the question how you know how old was the beer when it was submitted? Um, but in my experience, if if there's an if the airlock keeps on bubbling, you know, just one a minute, you know, or every thirty seconds or something for weeks on end, it means there's a, a wild yeast in that's eating everything up. Mm-hmm. So the longer you leave it, you know, the the more attenuated it'll become. Right. If you if you see that, you know, four weeks out, then I'd start worrying about that. If it's if it's just two weeks or, you know, maybe it's going a lot longer than it should, you know, most most ales they should ferment out pretty much within five days or so. And, you know, if they're going a lot longer than that, and then, you know, you leave them for a couple extra days and, you know, and then they're good. But if they're going and going and going and going, a lot of times it was because of a bad pitch of yeast. You know, the yeast weren't healthy enough or you didn't pitch enough or the environment wasn't quite right for the yeast. And they're just kind of it's a sluggish fermentation. It isn't really finishing up. Um, you know, that can happen as well. So you got to make sure that you've got, uh, you know, the, uh, the right pitch of, you know, clean, healthy yeast. And I think that, you know, uh, addresses those problems. So here's the only thing I want to add because I've asked this question and, and, I, and I got a slightly different answer. What you had always asked me back was how many bubbles are we talking here? Right. Well, yeah, if it's yeah. erratic, like you ended up telling me, you know, a lot of times you, if you dry hop to beer, for example, mm-hmm. you just kind of end up with some other gas in there. It's caught in the hops, whatever right. else. And it's still going to every now and then release something. Yeah, that's true. You know, if everything, you know, if you're if you're checking everything else and you're like, well, no, I pitched, you know, the right amount of clean, healthy yeast. It was a ripper. It, you know, fermented really well. And now I'm just having to notice a bubble every now and then. <clears throat> it could be that, you know, the room's getting warmer and the CO2 is going to come out of solution because, you know, yeah. as the beer warms up, that'll that'll off gas so you know it could be changes in temperature you know it's getting colder at night warmer during the day and so at night it's you know drawing in some some air and then during the day you're looking at it and you see a bubbling you're like oh boy it's still fermenting because you're only looking at it during the daytime when it's warmer so that kind of thing i think yeah that's an excellent point justin uh you know, it, it may be other factors, you know, vibrations will cause, you know, bubbles. You walk up to the, the fermenter to look at it and the vibration, your footsteps across a wood floor causes the fermenter to jiggle a little bit and then it, CO2 bubbles come out. So every time you go to look at it, you see <laughs> CO2 bubbles. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's an excellent point. So it may just be, you know, a false, uh, false indicator. Okay. 
All right, let's take a short break, and when we come back, uh, we'll get to more of your questions right after this. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Cut hours off your brewing sessions by using one of our 11 varieties of famous Williams malt extract. Our Williams Belgian Pale Extract is mashed with pure Belgian two-row malt and a small percentage of Belgian wheat malt for an authentic Belgian character you just can't get from other extracts. Or check out our unique fermenters, two-and-a-half-gallon kegs, paintball tank-based draft beer equipment, bottling aids, and much more. We even have our own line of precision hydrometers. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse our vast selection. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 3.30 p.m. Pacific time ship the same day. Brewing is easy. The Williams way. Hello? Hey, Drew, it's Push. You want to do some lunch? Oh, I can. I'm reading something important. What? John, it's Push. One. Hey, this is John, and I'm busy reading right now, so please... What is going on? This is Sven. Hey, you busy? Yeah, I am. I'm reading Gordon's new book. From Brewers Publications and the only home brewer to win the coveted National Homebrew Competition Ninkasi Award three times comes a complete look at technical, practical, and creative homebrewing. Brewing Better Beer by Gordon Strong. What sets this book apart is its insistent focus on what's important for the home brewer. Like a great beer, it's extremely well-balanced. A mix of technical, practical, and creative advice that, if taken to heart, will make your beer a whole lot better. You'll learn Gordon's techniques and philosophy, recipes and tips to take your homebrew to the next level. Brewing Better Beer, master lessons for advanced homebrewers. Proudly available now from Brewers Publications. Downtown Joe's, located in the historic Oberon Building in beautiful downtown Napa, California, offers an award-winning brew pub experience from 8.30 a.m. to 1 a.m. every day. For 15 years at the corner of 2nd and Main, Downtown Joe's has been voted Best Night Spot seven times and Best Brew Pub for the last four years in a row. Brewmaster Colin Kaminsky's handcrafted ales, like his Tailwagon Amber Ale and Double Secret Probation IPA, are the perfect accent to riverside dining, live music, and a relaxing outdoor patio. Don't miss the Beer of the Month, Special Rotating Taps, and the BN Army Member Special. Wear your BN gear, get 10% off your beer. Visit downtownjoes.com to make reservations, peruse their extensive calendar of events, or just read more about their fantastic beers. Come enjoy the fine beer, food, and music. Downtown Joe's, the award-winning brew pub where you'll feel at home. Hi, I'm Jamel Zanishef, and in addition to my work on the Brewing Network, I write the style profile column in every issue of Brew Your Own magazine. Hi, I'm Sean Paxton, and when I'm not prepping for the home-brewed chef on the Brewing Network, you can find me writing articles on how to cook with your homebrew for Brew Your Own magazine. Greetings, cretins. This is John Palmer, and when I'm not writing for Brew Your Own, I'm reading it. 
John Palmer, Sean Paxton, Jamil Zanishev. If you love listening to them on the Brewing Network, you'll love reading their articles, tips, and recipes in the pages of Brew Your Own magazine. Join Jamil, John, and Sean eight times a year in Brew Your Own. And when you subscribe to BYO on the Brewing Network website, half of your subscription price goes right back to the BN to support great beer and food programming. So sign up for Brew Your Own magazine through the BN website today so you can listen and read your way to better homebrew. Hi, this is Push from the Brewing Network, and I want to tell you about the Brewmaster's Warehouse and how you can get 10% off your next order. I'm a pretty techie guy, but I've never seen an online store like this. It's awesome. Go to brewmasterswarehouse.com and click on Brew Builder. You can whip up a custom recipe so easily even Sven could do it. Seriously, it's slick. You can share your recipe with your own logo and notes to the Brewmaster's database if you want. And the best part, it keeps a running tally of the beer you're building while you're doing it. Then, bam, click Buy Recipe, and your cart is filled and ready to go with helpful suggestions in case you forgot something. This thing is amazing. Brewmaster's Warehouse is run the way a home brewer would do it, with great service, fast turnaround, and $6.99 flat rate shipping. Brewmaster's Warehouse and the Brew Builder blew me away. Check it out today at brewmasterswarehouse.com. I'm serious. And don't forget to put BNARMY in the discount code box for 10% off your order. Check out brewmasterswarehouse.com. Cheers. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. Let me tell you about another uh, fine sponsor of ours, uh, AdamandEve.com. Fellows, are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's your offer. Here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com, and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. But that's not all. Oh, no. When you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs for a little inspiration, plus a free extra gift so essential we can't mention on the radio. And to top it all off, we'll even throw in free shipping on your entire order. And no, we're not teasing. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. Get 50% off one item when you type Jamel, J-A-M-I-L, for the offer code upon checkout. When you do, you'll get the three free DVDs, you get a free extra gift, and you will get free shipping. Just use the offer code J-A-M-I-L at adamandeve.com. You know, a sponsor of ours, they help uh, pay for the show, so uh, if you get a chance and you have uh, needs along those those lines, go check it out. It's a, it's a good company and, uh, uh, you know, products for uh, those into it. Uh, you know, it'll help uh, support the show. So uh, use that offer code Jamel, J-A-M-I-L, at adamandeve.com. All right. We're doing a live Q&A show. Yeah. I got a lot of live questions coming in the chat, too, guys. I'm trying okay. to balance your live questions with the emails. And so. if we don't get to your live question, uh, just send it in to uh, BrewStrong at thebrewingnetwork.com if we don't get to it uh, uh, during the live, and uh, we will get it into the next uh, Q&A. Just put Q&A in the subject uh, uh, for the email, and uh, that'll help uh, flag it for the shows. I've got a stack in front of me, so we'll get to it. Okay, uh, here's one of the emails. Brian from New Hampshire uh, says, I've recently been doing some reading on how to ferment and carbonate my beer at the same time. This seems like a really cool idea. So my questions are, how do I know what to set the PSI at? Also, what's the easiest way to separate the beer from the tube then? 
I think this topic would make for a great show. Bruce Strong from Brian. Good questions, I thought, mm. about a, a traditional a style of brewing, right? Well, you know, that's one of the things that uh, they do in a, in a professional brewery is, uh, you know, cap the tank at a certain They'll be checking the, the gravity of the tank, and uh, I think uh, they do this at uh, Gordon Beersh even. You know, it gets down to a yep. certain uh, reading, and they know where the beer's going to finish at. They know how much uh, sugar is left to be fermented, and they'll go ahead and uh, cap that tank and then let carbonation build up naturally. And, um, you know, they can do it in the, the, the pro breweries because they have an easy way to dump uh, material from the bottom of the tank. Uh, they have pressure-rated vessels that uh, won't explode on them. They have pressure relief valves. So all that's you know, really important. If you're doing this at home, make sure that you're doing it in a safe manner because the pressure could build up to where you know, something like a glass carboy or something like that can be quite dangerous. So you yeah. got to be careful of that. But you could do it in a corny kick, right? Oh, certainly you can. Uh, the in the corner kegs, just make sure you know your pressure relief's working on that. They're rated to most of those. I think are rated 125 psi, so far more than uh, yeah. the yeast will produce. Because yeast, the problem with this is you're you're not going to do it during the beginning of fermentation. This is just for the very end, and. Um, you know, the problem with building up CO2 pressure is that it's very rough on the yeast. The higher the concentration of CO2 dissolved in the in the liquid, the harsher it is on the yeast. So if you want to repitch the yeast, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Also, if you were to, to do this early on in fermentation, uh, it's going to affect the development of esters. It's going to affect the amount that the yeast will attenuate to. So you really need to be taking readings of your beer you know, as you go, and it'll be very difficult to do for beers you haven't brewed before. So if you know exactly where the beer is going to finish every time, which you have to really have good control over your process and your pitching rates and all that, uh, to get a beer to finish always at the same point each time, then you could, you know, backtrack from there and say, okay, when it reaches this point, I'm going to go ahead and uh, cap that tank and let it build up CO2. So it's doable. It's just um, for most home brewers, it's more effort than it's worth, and that uh, you know you really need to know your process. All right, uh, here's a quick one from our old friend Blubberglop, who's in the chat room in Canada. There, quick question for Jamil: uh, Have you ever used lavender in a Belgian wit? Uh, no, I haven't. I think it sounds like an interesting idea. I do too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I believe the brewery has used lavender in in their some of their beers. Oh yeah, down in oh, uh, yeah, where yeah. are they? Placentia. Yeah, Placentia. Yeah, down Placenta, here in, in yeah. L.A. <laughs> I mean, never know how to do that. <laughs> yeah, who, who names who names a town like you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I think you're right. I think I have had a lavender beer of theirs. Yeah. Uh, all right, Blobber, if you make it to NHC in San Diego, maybe that could be your research beer. But I'd love to try one of yours if you used it. Yeah, that's a, that's, I mean, that's a great idea. Um, it, it could be quite interesting. I would I would definitely go for that, especially with that kind of pillowy, soft malt, all that. I think that, you know, with the, the, the trick is going to be getting just the right level. I mean, you want it to where, you know, you can notice it in the background, but it's not overwhelming because I think that would be disgusting. But, yeah. You know, if you had just a, you know, it's like, ooh, you know, I get a hint of lavender, that that would be really cool. Okay. Yeah, I'd like to try it too. Yeah, I can tell you just like flowers on your pillow, though. <laughs> I do. 
what you don't know about your friend Jamil Zanishev. Aren't you guys bunking at the uh, Cleveland International Beer Fest? I don't know. Are we? Palmer could leave flowers on your pillow if you are. Actually, we could just get him a key and, and do it anyway. Right. Even I if you're not. Would. I'll leave you something other than a chocolate on yours. Yes. <laughs> It'll be brown, but it won't, won't be a chocolate. Right. Yeah. I, a little note saying, I couldn't find lavender flour. I found barley flour instead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Good question, Blobber. R. Hastings, also in the chat, wants me to ask you, uh, how late is too late for yeast? I was using uh, Jamil's pitching rate calculator for a vial of yeast that is about a month past its best by date. Mm -hmm. The calculator said the viability was at 10%. Right. How many times will I need to step this up using a starter? You know, it gets gets iffy, you know, when you get past the best by date – and, you know, the 10% is as low as that calculator will go as far as viability goes. And it's going to depend a lot on, um, you know, how that yeast was handled uh, before it got to you and how you've handled it since you've had it. If it went through hot shipping, things like that, if it sat out at the homebrew shop for, for a day and got warm, you know, viability is going to be much lower. If it was, you know, fresh from... Uh, you know, the factory to your homebrew shop, you picked it up immediately, and it's just been sitting in your nice temperature-controlled fridge for a while. Uh, you know, it might be, you know, your viability may be, you know, 25% or 30%. Hard to say for certain at that point. Um, you know, the the thing to do is to, uh, uh, you know, go ahead and make a starter with it and see, you know, how much yeast it appears you get off of that. If you get, you know, just... You know, if, if you've done a lot of starters, you kind of know. You know, just make your standard, you know, one liter, two liter starter, and just see if if you've got just a little bit of yeast. Um, yeah, you're you're pretty low. If you if you're getting, you know, if it looks like normal, then you're much, you know, you're probably you know fifty, sixty percent viability. Hard to say. And it depends on strain too. Strain will. Some strains are much more. Uh, resilient, resilient, yeah, and and will um, you know they'll they'll uh, last a lot longer. So, and some they die really quick, um, you know. And, and there's just nothing you can do about it. Okay, all right. A lot of yeast questions. I got another one here. This might be our official Q and A yeast show so mm. far. Uh, let's see. Brew guy wrote in to the Brewstrong at the com email and said, just looking for a little clarification on the temps you use with lager yeast strains. Mm-hmm. He says, I've heard of pitching cool and letting it warm up slightly over the fermentation schedule, but I've received some conflicting information on how much to let the temp climb and on what type of schedule. I'm looking at trying my first lager this summer in a a temperature-controlled environment, of course, Jamil, and wanted a little more clarification on how to best use the yeast. Thanks for all the information, books, and podcasts from you guys. Keep up the work. Bruce Strong from BrewGuy. Well, you know, what I like to do, you know, with loggers is uh, pitch cooler, you know, 45 degrees Fahrenheit, and then let let it rise up to like 50 degrees Fahrenheit. And the question a lot of people have is, you know, what is the time frame on that? And really what I'm doing is uh, using a cooler temperature just for the yeast growth phase, which should be through within, you know, 24 hours with, uh, you know, proper pitch of yeast and, uh, you know, healthy yeast. I think, you know, within 24 hours that should be done. And and so at the end of 
you know, 24 to, you know, 48 hours, I want to be at 50 degrees Fahrenheit. And then I let that, you know, go through the main of fermentation and, and towards like the last third or quarter of fermentation, I go ahead and let the, the temperature rise up again from there. Uh, you know, you can let that rise a few degrees from there and then, you know, that'll give you your kind of natural diacetyl rest and, uh, you know, should, should work out uh, quite well. Did that answer the question? Did I leave some parts off? Well, yeah, I guess what, um, so you're, to summarize, you're pitching at 45 and letting that rise over about 24 hours to 50. So about a five degree climb. And then your main fermentation is going to run from, uh, two to what four days right. you're your primary and then and then after that two to four day period of primary fermentation you're going to let it start rising again mm-hmm. up to say 55 or 60 mm-hmm. 55 probably 55 uh-huh. yeah right and right. then that's and that kind of finishes out the fermentation right it helps um uh the yeast be more active towards the end of fermentation when they tend to be slowing down and helps uh, them uh, reduce some of those uh, fermentation byproducts. So that's why I like to, to raise it there at the end. Uh, it helps them attenuate fully. Uh, you know, you want those yeasts as active as possible towards the end. And a lot of times people will do almost exactly the opposite. They will pitch the yeast into, you know, hot wort, you know, it'll be 60, 70 degrees, and then they'll chill it down to 50 and then uh, you know they'll keep it in a in a in a fridge that isn't controlled by the temperature of the fermentation but rather you know ambient temperature and as the yeast start to slow down the fermentation actually gets colder cuz they're not producing any heat anymore or less heat and um you know so the, the fermentation gets colder and you're ending up like chasing it down and tamping it down, it's and you know uh, going against the the yeast. So uh, you, know, you really want to kind of do it the opposite of that. Okay, and here's a quick one. Uh, I think that we can get in here because I I know that you do this method anyway, Jamil. Uh, Ice climber in the chat room says I use a pressure canner to prepare wort for starters in mm. two liter jars. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in the chat room here, and he says, uh, I just add DME and yeast nutrient to the uh, – ca- sorry, can I just add DME and yeast nutrient to the jar with water and not boil and just let the pressure canner take care of the boiling? Yep. Or do I have to boil it first? That's how, that's how I've been doing it is um, – I've done it both ways. It can be a little messy to add the DME, especially when, when you're doing a lot of jars because, you, you know, things start getting moist. <laughs> But, yeah, you, you know, those quart uh, mason jars, they hold, um, you know, when you fill them to the neck, it's it's somewhere around 830 mils of, of water with the DME. And so what, what I do is I put in like 83 grams of DME and I fill it to the neck with water and, um, you know, in a pinch of, uh, you know, or a, a, just a few grains of uh, nutrient, put the lid on and put in the pressure cooker. So it works, works quite well. Um, the other way to do it is you know, just make yourself up a bucket of uh, DME and warm water and mix it. Add your nutrients to the whole thing. Stir it up really well and then just fill jars off a, off a bottling bucket. That works real well. The, the, the issue that you'll sometimes get when you're doing the, um, the, the pressure cooker and the DME in the jar is the DME will clump. And if you don't shake it up a little bit and get the DME to dissolve, 
um, you know, sometimes you'll like kind of find a baked on clump of DME in the jar. Mm. So, um, but generally it works quite well. Sounds so much easier to do it that way. It is. I mean, you just weigh it out and, yeah. you know, and it's six and one half dozen of the other. You don't really have to do anything with the bottling bucket. You know, you don't have to sanitize it really or anything like that. You just rinse it out and then just pour your whole thing of DME in there and then you can add it as much water as measured or um, you can just check the gravity, add a little bit more water or whatever, and you're like, okay, there it is, and then just run it into the jars. And that's real fast, too. So that's what I did actually the last time I made <laughs> starter wort was I did it that way. So, Got it. Whatever, whatever works for you. Okay. Palmer, do you do any, any canning like that? No, I don't. I mean, uh, I usually whip it up the last minute. <laughs> But, um, yeah, if uh, I can see where doing it ahead of time in with the pressure cook like that would would save a lot of effort. And uh, especially the fact that cold water dis- dissolves DME better than hot because it doesn't clump. Mm. And you avoid those you avoid those chunks. Huh. So, um, yeah, you could, you know, you could put the DME in the jar, pour in cold water, put, put the cap on and throw it in the pressure cooker and... Uh, that would save the clumping issue because um, I've spent many many an hour stirring DME on the stove trying to get it to dissolve totally. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll, we'll wrap it up with uh, just a couple more questions. Back after this. When you hear Blickman Engineering, think innovation, passion, quality, and customer service. Blickman Gear is designed by brewers to give you a sense of pride in your equipment. At Blickman, they know what makes brewing a pain and build gear that makes it fun. Like the intuitive beer gun, a completely different approach to filling bottles. The Therminator Wart Chiller, a new take on a plate chiller that's sized for flow, performance, and the high groundwater temps homebrewers face every day. The Brewmometer, a brilliant weldless thermometer design with brewing parameters right on the dial. The Auto Sparge, ultimate simplicity for preventing an overflow or running your mash tun dry. And much more, like the modular top-tier brewing stand, conical fermenters, and their boiler maker brew pots. With more cutting-edge equipment coming soon, keep up with the latest from Blickman at BlickmanEngineering.com and stay on the cutting edge. I love beer. I'm a brewer. I brew it. I drink it. It's in my blood, really. I'm that guy that pours malt extract on his pancakes. I wish I could just put a good brew in my pocket and take it with me. Now you can. Hey, brewers and beer lovers. Why not eat the energy bar invented by a home brewer using the same ingredients in your brew? Introducing Brew Bar Energy Bars, spelled B-R-U-B-A-R. Malt, oats, vanilla, nuts, cinnamon, coconut. You've put them in your beer, and you'll find them in your Brew Bar Energy Bar. All natural, made with simple ingredients chosen for the highest quality. They're new, different, and have a rich malty flavor and smooth, moist texture, just like a fine craft brew. You can find Brew Bar Energy Bars at BrewBar.com or find a retailer near you. And if you are a retailer, you should contact them and find out how you can sell Brew Bar Energy Bars. Check them out at BrewBar.com. That's B-R-U-B-A-R.com. And follow them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash BrewBar. Remember, it's in your Brew Bar Energy Bar because it's in your brew. Hey, what are you doing, man? Writing a review of WLP 400. What? You're reviewing yeast? Yeah. White Labs has home brewer reviews of all their strains. Are you new to these interwebs? Check it out. That's awesome! 
White Labs, your source for great yeast, invites all brewers to visit whitelabs.com to read and write your own reviews of all their yeast strains. Get real-world tips and tricks from other brewers who have made the most of their vials and post your own experiences. It's another way White Labs brings you closer to the best yeast on the planet. And send. There you go. You misspelled flocculate, dude. What? Ah, mother... White Labs. It's all in the vial. There's an app on the iPhone for just about everything, including beer. Apps for finding a pint of beer. Apps that look like you're drinking a pint of beer. And now, there's an app for brewing a pint of beer. Introducing... BrewPal, the most all-inclusive beer brewing app for professionals and hobbyists that fits in your pocket and goes wherever you do. Recipe formulation that can be imported and exported with a customizable database. Mash and sparge calculations, yeast pitching rates, carbonation tables, and more. Available right now for less coin than a pound of grain. See BrewPal in action at brewpal.info. And download it for your iPhone at a special introductory price right now. BrewPal. All the brewing software you need. Right in your pocket. More beer has been slashing prices all year. Now, it's even more free shipping for the month of May. In February, they lowered hop prices. In March, they lowered equipment prices. In April, they lowered ingredient kit prices. Now, for the month of May, only more beer is lowering their already famous free shipping from $59 to $39. Take advantage today. Order two ingredient kits and get them shipped free. Order their new high-flow March pump and get it shipped free. Order most anything over 39 bucks and get it shipped for free. More free shipping only from More Beer at morebeer.com. This is Sit down next to it, grab yourself a paper towel, and watch those yeast have sex. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Like the Lance Armstrong of the beer world. Except for that nut thing. This is Bruce Strong. <laughs> you know, I think I want that on my tombstone, right? Like <laughs> the Lance the Armstrong of the beer world. Except for that nut thing. You know, if I can get your wife to approve it, I'll make it happen, <laughs> Jamil. All right. But what do we have against beer nuts anyway? I mean, that think they're kind of good kind of good <laughs> well and actually now now uh, let me uh, indulge me while i go off track here but yeah. um recently lost a, a a couple of friends uh in tragic accidents and you know mysterious uh circumstances and things like that and so going to a few funerals and i was with my wife at at this funeral for a friend of ours and um i told her i said you know what it just dawned on me is what I'd like to do is, you know, have me cremated, you know, put me in a cardboard box or whatever, whatever the cheapest is, get me cremated. And then, and I, and, you know, I don't know if this sounds, sounds too egotistical or what, I don't know, but have you ever read that uh, book, uh, Robert Heinlein, Stranger in a Strange Land? No. Okay, at the yeah. end, they end up, like, making a soup out of them. <laughs> And, and uh, you know, they end up tasting it, and he, he kind of lives on 
through their, you know, tasting of the eating of the soup, right? And uh, I was thinking, well, wouldn't it be cool if I got cremated and then you took my ashes and gave it to a couple of home brewers and they made some beer <laughs> with the ashes in it and then you served it at some festival and then you'd live on through all the people that drank the beer. Right. Wouldn't that be cool? Well, except for the urination. <laughs> except part for the people. Of, you know, the people. <laughs> And except for the people drinking the beer. But, you know, I, I just thought that would be really cool. So I told my wife, I said, yeah. so have me cremated. <laughs> and then if anybody asks for ashes to make a beer, right. you give it to them. So, Palmer, for- here's my question. I don't know if you uh-huh. have the same one. I'm not quite sure how many how large of an ash vessel a human being makes. <laughs> right. So so my I wonder how many Palmer probably knows. How many you have to how many batches you have to spread it out before right. I get grossed right. out is my point. Because right. I don't no, want like right. I don't want a whole chunk of you in a beer. <laughs> right? Yeah, you don't want a big lump. <laughs> no, floating around like like a like yeah. hot bit. Yeah, it's freak me out. Right? No, mm-hmm. I'm thinking. You know, you you send like a tablespoon that goes into a ten gallon batch. You know, it's just in the mash. There you we know. go. Something yeah, like that. A couple quarts in the mash, and you know, seven <laughs> barrels or something. We probably wouldn't notice it. And I'd be fine with it. Yeah, right, and I right. think it's a great idea. Uh, would that be kind of cool? Yeah. You live on through. Uh, through the, the the people that you love most, definitely. Yeah, it'd be almost like bacon beer. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. All cooked down and ashified, and now we now we're left to ponder what flavor Jamil adds to it. To a right, beer. exactly. Oh, it's very Jamil like. Yeah, ah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tastes like ass. <laughs> Tastes like asshole. Yeah, that's him. That's it. <laughs> that must be a Jamil beer. <laughs> yeah, that's the flavor right there. Oh boy. <laughs> All right, let's wrap this up with one one last question. All right, let's do. This. I got a quick recommendation, then we'll do a question because this one's for Palmer. Uh, and I thought it was a good story. Uh, Joseph wrote in to the email. He said, "I did. I did as John Palmer's book said, and I boiled three gallons of water, and then went to pour my hot wort into the fermenter. <laughs> oh no! A six and a half gallon glass carboy. My carboy broke all the way around the bottom." And so his uh, recommendation is, I thought that might be something that Palmer wants to put into his next revision. I am not in any way complaining about the book. I really appreciate the information I learned from it. And I appreciate what I learned from the Brewing Network. But I thought you'd get a kick out of my fucked brew day. Um, The show must go on. Uh, I'm using my five-gallon carboy now for primary fermentation. But uh, it's just a revision recommendation, Palmer. Yeah, yeah. I could have sworn I put Ann Cool at the bottom of that paragraph. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah, I think it got moved, removed. Ed- editing editing for the, space, maybe. Yeah, maybe. for space. Well, and that brings up a great point, I think. Um, you know, you got to use some common sense when you're doing things like brewing because it's it can be dangerous if you don't. And, you know, sometimes you just need to think this through. I, a lot of times... I'll get email from people, and they're just like, so how do I do this? You know, you said this, that, the other thing. And I'm thinking, how are you reading into that, you know, what you are? It's just like, no, you're overthinking it. You're thinking way too hard about how this is done. It's Mm -hmm. just, you know, think about cooking. Think about, you know, common sense and cooking. And, And a lot of that applies. And just use that methodology and say, oh, okay. You know, yeah. it's like when they say, you know, stir the ravioli, you know, they're not talking about, you know, 
turning the stove around. <laughs> They're talking about get a spoon and just stir it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Don't use a whisk. <laughs> right, right. All of a sudden, people are asking: Should I use a whisk? Should I use a motorboat engine? Should I use you know what? You know, I, I have this theory of why we do that. It's just that we've had so many wonderful beers. Right, that, right. that we we have high standards for ourselves, right? And right. so we're so nervous about every detail because of our to high standards. Absolutely, make the best beer possible, and I uh, applaud them for that. But yeah. you know, sometimes you know, don't don't overthink it. Yeah. Sometimes it, the simple answer is is the one you're looking for. Okay, let's try to fit this one in. Baruz is in the chat room. Said he's had this question for you guys for a while. On can you brew it? The guys often uh, talk about whirlpooling for X amount of minutes. You know, ex- lately we've been talking about extended whirlpools for mm-hmm. uh, hop utilization and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. In the earlier style shows, uh, Jamil and Jean Plissé always talk about cooling wort quickly. Mm-hmm. So, what's the benefit of whirlpooling? What's the trade-off of not cooling quickly and keeping the wort hot? Well, um, you know, the you know, generally, the commercial brewers are whirlpooling to maximize the amount of wort they can extract from the kettle to compact down the you know the pile of material, and they they want to transfer as much wort out of the kettle to the fermenter as possible because that's money. In home brewing, you don't necessarily need to do that. So the problem with whirlpooling is it tends to degrade you know the hop aromatics tends to blow off the hop aromatics so that's Mm. why you don't want to whirlpool hot and that's why you know we would recommend chill that wort very quickly and you can trap in a lot of those hop aromatics and hot flavors um you know the when you whirlpool hot anything you know past about 170 175 fahrenheit you're still isomerizing the hop uh, you know, uh, alpha acids, it's, you know, adding bittering, it's, you know, uh, volatilizing some of the aromatics. So that's kind of the, you know, the drawback there. And the the, the positive is, you know, you get a clearer wort at the end of the, uh, you know, out of the kettle mm-hmm. and, you know, compact the uh, the troop pile and things like that. What, yeah. what would you add to that, John? I, th- I think one, one point to make is that the reason, the reason pro- professional brewers are not cooling the work quickly is because they can't i mean right. they've got this giant A volume of work gallon, to cool. gallons right mm-hmm. yeah and i mean they've got good plate chillers but they can only run you know so much volume through there so fast so they they've got this thousand mm-hmm. gallons sitting there hot what do we do with it while we wait for it to go through the chiller well let's spin it and add some more hops and get a little more hop aromatics into it just before we chill mm-hmm. you know it's it's um it's kind of a an innovative way of addressing the problem of what do we do with all this hot wort? Mm-hmm. Is it we're, which at the homebrewer scale we just don't have that issue to to um, drive us to do it. Um, we can add our we can add our knockout addition of hops and then cool the whole thing within ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know at the scale they're working at, they, it's going to take an hour. Well, and that's that's the thing, you know. On Canyon Brewit, we're we're trying to mimic uh, what they're doing in the commercial brewery, and sometimes we we do it different ways, uh, just depending on on who's brewing. Uh, but we're trying to mimic that same character, and uh, that's possible in the homebrew level. But like John, like you're saying, you can submerge a giant coil of metal inside your your wort, and you know, rapidly, you know, knock down the temperature. Uh, you know, makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. 
And real quick, just as a follow-up, he wants to know, is uh, DMS an issue with uh, extending uh, the Whirlpool, with keeping Wirt hot in the Whirlpool, too? Generally, if you do a 90-minute boil, no. Okay. And right. you're not using, you know, lightly kiln malts like Pilsner malts and things like that. Yeah. That's that's the, the other aspect to the whole question that was occurred to me at the beginning um, when he asked it was the, the DMS issue, as Jamil says – has a lot to do with the type of malt you select and the fact that they are doing a generally a 90-minute boil and volatilizing all the precursor off. So when as as that hot word is sitting there waiting to go through the exchanger, um, all the pre most of the precursor has been boiled away and it's not converting to DMS while it sits. Okay. Any time for one more? You got the clock in front of you. Where? <laughs> We're over. We're over by eight minutes. But if you want to slip on more in, sure. One slip in. Uh, when substituting a percentage of your base grains out for some simple sugar to help in drying out a beer, is there a ratio of malt to simple sugar so that we can still maintain our targeted OG? That's from Jason in Hood River, Oregon, who who wrote in. So I guess maybe he mean you know can you not can you go overboard with the simple sugar is that what he's asking can he is there a ratio to stick to? Well, you can, um, but I th- I think it sounded like he was asking how much malt do you replace with simple sugar? Yeah, and you know like you know one a pound and a half to a pound or something like that. But it depends on how efficient your mashing is and what what type of base malt you're using will determine how much simple sugar you would add and the type of simple sugar you're adding um as far as ratios go you know 10 percent generally is enough to dry out a beer um you know so if you really you know want to push it you can start going higher the problem is if you go too high you start getting also a, a sweetness uh back at the end of the beer you know when you get to with too high a ratio of uh, simple so- sugars so, Jamil, are you saying 10% of the gravity points, or are you saying 10% of the weight of the grain bill? Ah, I see. See, that's why that's why Palmer's on this show. Oh, yeah. You, you <laughs> ask the tough questions. Um, earn my- yeah, earn your keep. It's, um, you know, 10% of the grist or 10% of the gravity points. It's, it's pretty close to the same thing. So, um, I wouldn't... Uh, you know, I wouldn't go ten percent of the base malt. I mean, you could, I guess, but you know, ten percent of the gravity points or ten percent of the grist mm-hmm. should be about the same. All right, we'll save the rest for the next Q and A show. All right, good show. It was good Thanks. questions. Yeah, really good questions. Good work from the chat room. Thank you. And uh, if we didn't get to your questions in the chat room, just send them in. Uh, Bruce Strong at thebrewingnetwork dot com. We'll. We get to them all eventually, and, and that's where we get a lot of our show ideas and uh, uh, all our other goodies that uh, that we uh, that we do on this show. Yep, we'll be doing this for years yet. I think so. <laughs> we'll, we'll Great, go. we'll be old, we'll be feeble, <laughs> but uh, we'll still be doing it. Just can't wait till you guys Doom. get even crotchetier. Yeah, we'll old. be doing the Waldorf and Statler thing. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. Well, and if you want to hear us uh, continue to do this show, uh, what you need to do, get yourself to thebrewingnetwork.com. You'll see uh, a few things there. The store, 
pick up some goodies in there. That helps the Brewing Network. You'll also see a, uh, a link to Brew Your Own Magazine. There's a, a banner there. Click on that to subscribe to Brew Your Own Magazine. When you do, and you do it through the thebrewingnetwork.com, the Brewing Network gets half of that uh, subscription fee to the Brewing Network. So you get a great magazine. The Brewing Network gets a, a nice donation on your behalf, and uh, it really helps uh, keep things like this show going. So uh, check that out. And uh, a lot of other good stuff there. So uh, don't don't be afraid to uh, click about on thebrewingnetwork.com. Until later, brew strong. Brew strong, everybody. <laughs>